Man, I am thrilled about our next speaker. Uh, I just think, you know, when you meet people and you just don't, man, they're doing it right and they're doing it right for the right reasons. And when I met Daniel and Tammy Floyd, I could tell that they are doing it right. They're doing it for the right reasons. They planted a great church 13 years ago. I think they started with 50 people. They were a little tiny Thumbelina. And look what God has done over these last 13 years. Now six campuses reaching thousands of people. One of the most generous men I've ever been around. One of the most authentic churches I've ever been able to visit. We are in for a treat to be able to hear from Pastor Daniel Floyd from LifePoint Church. I want you to stand to your feet, and I want you to begin to welcome one of our heroes. Come on, one of our pastors, one of our horsemen. Show your love for Pastor Daniel Floyd. Thank you. Can, can you stay on your feet just for a minute um, here in the theater as well? Um, Pastor Greg, Pastor Dino, thank you for the opportunity, um, Pastor Chris, to be on your platform. Um, I don't have the words, and uh, I wouldn't be able to compose myself, but I love you dearly. And um, to the entire lead team, uh, thank you for creating this atmosphere, and thank you for modeling what we can follow of integrity and of community, and because y'all are better together, we're all better together, and it just trickles down. Can we thank God for our leadership? Amazing, amazing leadership. And, uh, and my beautiful wife is here, Tammy Floyd, and I love you, and you are good to look at, and you're a great mom, and um, we couldn't, I couldn't do this without you. I love you so much. And uh, so I'm thankful for you. Well, have a seat. Um, I want to get into the Word. I hope you've come with a level of expectation in your heart. Um, believing God to do something this week. Uh, a preacher that I used to listen to a lot growing up used to say, the atmosphere of expectation is a breeding ground of miracles. And so I just believe if you come with expectation that God will meet you at the level of your expectation. And, um, and you tell your church people that on Sundays because you're like, if you come expecting something, God will speak to you. But if you don't, he won't. And what you're saying is my preaching isn't the problem. It's your expectation. Amen. <laughs> so I may be saying that. I may not be saying that. I don't know. Um, Genesis chapter 41, um, to be a familiar passage. The Bible says this in 41 verse 37. Joseph has just interpreted the dream to Pharaoh. The Bible says the plans seem good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Um, I have three kids, I have an 11-year-old son, have a eight-year-old girl and an 18-month little girl, and yes, that was on purpose. <laughs> After my second one, we were unsure if we would procreate again, <laughs> but we came back around. And, uh, and so I was playing ping pong in the basement. We have a ping pong table in the basement with my son the other day, and, um, and I'm, I'm one of these dads that if I'm going to play my son, I'm going to demolish him. <laughs> I think it builds character. I think it builds strength. I don't let him win, and then I trash talk him mercilessly. 
And so this is kind of my mode. Well, we were playing the other day, and I had beat him bad, and every time I beat him, he goes, Dad, one more game. Like, he's got tenacity. He's like, one more game, Dad, one more game. And, and I was like, all right, one more game to five, and then you got to go to bed. I, I think he was stalling to not go to bed. I said, one more game, and then you got to go to bed. And he goes, okay, one more game to five real quick. We get into the game to five a little bit. It's four, three, him. <laughs> this thought hit me. What am I going to do when he beats me? I have a strategy for winning. I don't yet have a strategy for losing. And I started thinking about life. Is that we have strategies for winning. I mean, a bunch of church planners and pastors, and, and we got strategies for winning. But do we have a strategy for struggle? Do we know what we'll do when it doesn't go the way that we thought it should go or go in the time that we thought it should go? Do you have a strategy for struggle? Because I'm concerned if you don't have a strategy for the struggle, when the struggle comes in this world, you will have trouble. When the struggle comes, you may not be ready for the struggle. And some of us may quit in the struggle. Oh, we may still show up at our church, but you can show up and have quit. You can be physically there, but not present anymore. You can still be preaching and leading and singing and caring and leading students, but the passion has gone because the struggle will try to rip some things out of you if you do not have a strategy for the struggle. We planted 13 years ago, and I wish to God I'd have known what ARC was. I didn't even know I was a church planner. 50 people in Fredericksburg, Virginia, you don't know where that's at, called me and said, hey called me and said, will you come be our pastor? And I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to be an executive. I want to be an associate. I want to be a wealthy businessman that beats up people that messes with pastors. Like, I, I want to be anything but the senior pastor. And, and then we went and talked, and long story short, I'm there. I remember my wife and I were going on um, to speak to some church planners at the college we attended. Um, after we'd graduated, we were a year in, and she says to me, why did they ask us to come speak to church planners? I said, because I think we are one. Like we had no clue. We had no idea what we were doing. But here's what I found out. I thought it was like Field of Dreams. Come on if you remember that, that generation. Show your age. I thought it was like Field of Dreams, like build it and they will come, right? Like launch day is going to be like lines wrapped around the building. Like God's going to move. The glory cloud is going to come, you know. It's, and it didn't happen that way. And I found out, though, that as I journeyed in this church planning journey, the struggles I faced were not out there. Sure, they're out there, budgets and people and issues and crazy, and, and you sometimes want to grab people and go, don't be dumb. Just stop making dumb decisions. And that's just your staff. Then you got your church people. Okay, I'm joking. I'm joking. I love my staff. They're down here on the front. But I found out the biggest struggle was in here. Because when it didn't go the way I thought it would go in the time that I thought it would go, things in my mind started to pop up like, God, did I miss you? God, am I anointed for this? God, do I need to figure out an exit strategy from this? God, are you for me or are you against me? Is this really your will for my life? Did I miss the boat? I prayed. I fasted. I thought this is what... God, did I miss something? And the struggle wasn't out there. The struggle was in here. And the text we just read doesn't seem to fall in line with the direction of the message at this point. 
Because Joseph has just been promoted to an incredible position, has he not? But you know, because you know your Bible, that if all that is you read of Joseph's life is 37 through 40 of chapter 41, then you don't get the whole context of his life. And you know context is king, right? So I think if we back up a little bit into the life of Joseph, we find a strategy in his struggle that can help us in our struggle. And so I want to give us three things to help us when the struggle comes. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Number one is this. We find Joseph first going out to his uh, brothers, you know the story, and he goes out and they come and they want to kill him because they don't like him because his dad made him a coat of many colors, right? And, And the favor of the father was on him, and so they ripped the coat off. Can I tell you, the favor wasn't on the coat. The favor was on the person. And so they ripped the coat off thinking that would take something off of him and threw him into a pit. And when they put him in the the pit, I believe the pit moment in his life represents, number one, submission. Represents submission. I think when you're in the middle of the struggle, the first thing that you should do is submit to God. You know, we like to quote the verse, resist the devil and he'll flee, but we miss part of it that says, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Then resist the devil and then he will flee. You got to get it in order. Are you with me? How many of you know that, that roundabouts should be outlawed in the United States? We have, where I live, we have one mall because the town isn't big enough to have more than that. And they've recently changed the name to the town center. They're trying to make it sound better than what it's still in Fredericksburg. And it's a mall, y'all. But they put a roundabout in it and nobody knows how to drive in it. I do, but nobody else in the city. Come on, y'all. And so no one knows when to yield and where to go, and people have almost hit me in this roundabout. But you got to know how to drive in the roundabout because you got to know how to yield and who's first and who goes second. Are you with me? We've got to live our life in the struggle. We should always, but man, in the struggle, we've got to say, God, I yield to you. God, you, you are sovereign over everything. And I, and I yield, I yield, watch, I yield my dream to you. God, I yield the vision to you because it wasn't mine anyways. You gave it to me. I didn't come up with this. God, I yield my life to you. I yield my everything to you. God, I submit it to you because I trust that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And if the ordering of my steps leads me into a struggle, I'm good with that because I'm submitted to you. I just, I just have to say, if the steps of the greatest man that ever lived led him to a cross, don't be fooled that the steps of a good man may lead you into the struggle. But in the middle of the struggle, we've got to submit to God. I found that I don't like to submit to God in the struggle because either it's a trust issue or a control issue. But I would propose that David in Psalm 23 gives us an apologetic for why no matter the situation, we can trust God in the struggle. Right, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. I love that. So if I don't have something that I thought I needed, 
in the moment, I didn't need it because I've got a shepherd that makes sure I don't lack for anything. So I can submit to God no matter the situation. I love, I love what he goes on down and says what? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, in the middle of my struggle. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're anxious and, and uh, you're worried about something, it's just hard to eat? You ever notice that? I remember the night we got engaged. We, uh, I took her to a, a restaurant that we a steak restaurant we love in Virginia, and, and, uh, and I, I ordered my eight-ounce filet, cooked medium plus. I just like a little, little, not medium well, a little plus, just on the other side of medium. And I ordered that, and I ordered the mashed potatoes, and they had this salad I ordered, and it's one of my favorite restaurants, and I will clean the plate, right? I'll have to run 10 miles the next day, but I will clean the plate. And I sat there, and I think I ate two bites of steak, and I stirred, after, after we, I asked her later that night, she goes, I wondered what was wrong with you because you didn't touch your food. <laughs> if you'll submit to God in the middle of the struggle, he will give you such a peace that the enemy can be all around you, the struggle can be all around you, that he'll lay out, come on somebody, the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes, because that's what's going to be served at the marriage supper, and you can pull up to the table and eat of the goodness of God when you're submitted to God. God, I trust you. I trust that what you have for me is good. If you're in the middle of the struggle, the thing to do right now is not resist God, but it's to submit to God. So you know that out of the pit he was sold to the gypsies and they took him to Potiphar's house, right? And when he got to Potiphar's house, because the favor wasn't in the coat, the favor was on the man, he rose to preeminence in the house and he ended up being over all the house. And you know that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and lure him and he resisted every time, right? Now, Joseph had every right from a natural perspective to go, God has forgot about me, what is happening to me, I'm going to live life on my own. No one will know if I make a bad decision. I'm not even in my home country anymore. I don't even have my people anymore. But he stayed faithful. If the pit represented submission, then Potiphar's represents staying. There's something about staying power in a servant of God. There's something about the ability to, to stay even in the middle of difficult things. Can I tell you something? That whenever the struggle hit is not the time to eject on the word that God spoke to you. It is the time to press in to the word that God spoke to you. See, the struggle isn't after you. The struggle is after the word that God put in you. The struggle is after the word that God put in you. Because you know that the word of God is a seed. And the seed of God's word or God's vision, that dream that God has spoken into your heart, if he, can, if he can get that to not get into the soil, then you won't get the harvest of the dream. And there are some cities that need the seed of the dream that God has put into your heart. There are some cities in this nation that need the dream that God has put in your heart. It needs to get into the ground so it can produce the fruit of salvation, of freedom, of purpose. But you've got to stay faithful in the struggle. You've got to determine that come, come hell or high water, I'm sticking with this thing. That on the days that it's easy, I'm sticking with it. And on the days that it's hard, I'm sticking with it. 
you, you got to stay faithful to the dream. I think this is why God told Joshua when he said, be strong and courageous, right? If you skip down a sentence or two, he said, and meditate on what I tell you day and night. He was telling Joshua, you're going to face some things and you've got to predetermine if you're going to trust what you see or what I've said. And you're going to face some things. If my experience has told me anything, I have faced some things and you will face some things where you've got to determine, will I believe what I see or what I said? Joshua, you're going to come up some walls of Jericho and I'm going to have said to just walk around them. And you've got to determine, will you believe what I said or will you believe what you're seeing? Your town has told you you can't have permits for that building here. Will you believe what you've seen or will you believe what God has said? You've had some people tell you that church plants come to your city to die. Will you believe what or what God said? You got to stay faithful. He who began the work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. The struggle may come, but the devil made a miscalculation letting you get up in this conference because the seed of his word is going to be watered and fertilized and life breathed into it. And you will accomplish what God has put in your heart to do. But can I tell you also, not only do you need to, in this staying season, stay faithful, you need to stay engaged. And, 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 and church people do this. Have you ever noticed that when the struggle hits, it seems like they disengage from the very thing they need to help them through the struggle? Did you know pastors do the same thing? The struggle hits, they won't return your text. They start disengaging from relationships. That's the power for me about art. Four years ago in Jacksonville, I came to my very first art conference. We planted our church. We had no covering. I, was, I wasn't trying to be a long ranger. I just didn't know. I wanted, I wanted it desperately. I wanted covering. I wanted relationship. I just couldn't find my people. Like, I was spirit-filled, but I wasn't weird. And I, I couldn't find those people. I, didn't, I thought I was it. Is that all right? Am I allowed to say that? Is that okay? And, and I remember sitting in Jacksonville, and the first worship song started. I was just like, oh, my gosh. We're, I found it. I found it. Some, some, some of you... Spirit of God fall fresh on us started, and you go, I found it. Oh, my goodness, I found it. And I just, I don't know about you, but I tell you, for me, ever since that day, I went head first in. And I've had some struggles along the way because they don't stop. They just get bigger. <laughs> bigger churches just mean bigger budgets, but it means bigger problems. It's just more zeros on everything. If you got one crazy now, let your church grow. You have 10. Let it grow a little bigger. You have 100. Let it grow a little bigger. You have 1,000. It's just more zeros. That's all it is. It ain't nothing but more zeros. 
But I tell you, I went all in. It was at that conference that um, it was before the training center named after Brother Billy was being built. And I, we had just come out of a building campaign, and we tithe everything that we bring in as a church. My executive pastor sat beside me, and I said, how much haven't we given of our tithe? And he told me the number. And I said, give it all to that building. I said, these are our people. And they said, what does it mean to be a part of ARC? And they said, well, you don't have to do anything, but if you want to partner. I said, let's give the most we can give. I don't tell you that to say pat us on the back. I say, I, I needed relationship. And I found it. And I knew this thing was going to feed me. And I decided I was going to feed it. And the more I have fed it, the more it has fed me. And the more I feed it, the more it feeds me. And the more I feed it, the more it feeds me. And it's this relationship that goes on and on. And so I would just say, if you're looking for family, welcome home. Start feeding the thing and it'll feed you. You got to stay Potiphar's represents staying. So then, you know, Joseph did the right thing, resisted the temptation, then he gets thrown in prison. <laughs> Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. <laughs> then he ends up in the prison, and, you know, he rises to the prominence because the favor wasn't on the coat, it was on the man. And then... It says that he interpreted the dream for the cupbearer and, um, and the baker, right? And then that verse, the most sad verse in the whole story of Joseph says, and they forgot all about him. <laughs> How are you going to forget about Joseph? He just took care of you. But then two years later, Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret it. Who'd they call but Joseph, right? They shaved him, they cleaned him up, and they brought him before the king, and that's where we go into the text. When he's in front of the king, in front of Pharaoh, I think this represents service. Listen, it's 15 years approximately since he had the dream. And now he is serving Pharaoh's dream while his is still unfulfilled. Can you serve somebody else's vision while you still got a vision in your heart? Staff, can you serve somebody else's vision while you still got a vision in your heart? Can you go all in on something that may not benefit you in the long run? Because it's where God's put you. Joseph didn't give it half heart. He gave his whole heart to it. He gave his whole heart to serve Pharaoh's vision. Can you pray for someone that needs healing while you're still waiting on your healing? Can you minister to someone that is crying their self to sleep while you're still crying at night too and nobody may know about it? Can you serve somebody else while you need to be served? And what Joseph didn't know, he, he doesn't have the whole story like we do. What he didn't know is that serving Pharaoh's dream would bring his dream to fulfillment because it was Joseph that prepared them for the famine. And then it was the famine that brought his brothers to the palace. And it's when his brothers got to the palace that Joseph found his brothers bowing down before him. And the dream was fulfilled because he was willing to serve in the middle of his struggle. But can I tell you something? His brothers never would have bowed down to him if he'd have never been brought before Pharaoh. 
And he never would have been brought before Pharaoh if he'd have not been in the prison. And if he'd have never been in the prison because if he'd have never been at Potiphar's house. But he'd have never been at Potiphar's house if he'd have never been in the pit. And he would have never been in the pit if his brothers had never thrown him in the pit. What I'm trying to show you is that God in the struggle isn't pushing you from your destiny. He is pulling you to the very thing that he has birthed in your heart. The struggle isn't pushing you, it's pulling on you. The struggle isn't trying to keep you from your destiny. It is the very thing that is preparing you for your destiny. It was pulling on him. And some of you are in the struggle right now and you think God isn't with you and you wonder if you've got the anointing for it and you wonder if you miss God. And I want you to know to be encouraged this morning at the start of this thing that it is pulling on you. Because it is in the struggle that God had to deposit some things in me I was missing. And it was in the struggle that God had to cut away from some things from me that I did not need. And God is doing the same thing for you. It's not pushing you, it's pulling on you. If you'll submit, if you'll stay, have some staying power, church planner, do not quit. God's got too much for you. And if you can serve, Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? praying and you know great drops of blood Father if it could pass for me anyway but your will be done here's the, the beautiful thing about the setting of that is that he's around a bunch of olive trees and olives are hard as rocks until the rain comes and when the rain comes they get soft and you could eat them and then it'd be, its use would be over. But the only way to really preserve an olive is to crush it. Because when you crush it, its oil flows out. Jesus was crushed in the garden so the oil of our salvation could flow out. Can I tell you something? In your struggle, you may feel like you're being crushed. But it could be that the greatest oil of your anointing comes out of your greatest struggle. So don't resist it. Will you stand with me all over the auditorium? If you're in the middle of a struggle right now, would you just, would you have the transparency to just lift your hand? If someone around you has their hand up, put your hand on their shoulder. Find somebody. This isn't for show. This is a family. See, here's the deal. Joseph, during his whole struggle, was all alone away from his people. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to walk through the struggle all alone. Because you got a family. It's called the ark. And so if you got your hand on somebody, would you pray over them right now? Don't pray no patty cake prayers. We don't need that. Can you pray heaven down over them right now?
Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we give you thanks, God, that you are with us in the struggle, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Father, we believe faith is rising again in the hearts of people. God, we believe that hope is rising again in the hearts of every person in this house. We believe, God, that we're gonna look at the struggle in a different way now. The struggle is the grace of God. It's a gift because the struggle is readying us and preparing us, God, for everything that you have for us. We worship you and we honor you. Come on, give Jesus your very best praise.